The North Carolina Healthcare Association is a proud sponsor of the Do Politics Better podcast. The association is a united voice for hospitals, health systems, and care providers to ensure they can offer high quality, lower cost care to all North Carolinians. Visit nchealthcare.org to learn more about how hospitals and health systems are working to make healthcare easier, more convenient, and with better outcomes. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. It's Thursday, October 19th, and whether you know it or not, Election Day is here or it's coming in the next few days. The redistricting maps have been released. Yesterday on Wednesday, the maps were posted online. There are two options for congressional maps and then one House and one Senate map. 10-4 or 11-3, depending on which one they adopt. We'll know in the coming days. Today, they are having a committee hearing. It is a hearing only. They're not voting out of committee today, but we hear some legislators are coming into town. Some are going to zoom in, but looks like we're getting to the end of the redistricting process next week or the week after. We've heard conflicting stories on when they're actually going to pass these maps, but They're here, and legislators seem to have come to some conclusion over what their voters are going to be in these districts. So let's go ahead and start with the congressional map, Sky. One of those proposals would merge Don Davis's district with Valerie Fauchy's district, and then it would eliminate Kathy Manning, Jeff Jackson, and Wiley Nichol. The other option makes Don Davis's district a little more competitive and then eliminates Manning, Jackson, and Nickel. So no matter what, Manning, Jackson, Nickel, chopping block. Yeah. Of course, we're going to see Jeff Jackson running for attorney general. That's all indications seem to be that's going to happen. Something else just to note, and I know everyone saw this coming. It's not a surprise. Both maps do have a district that Speaker Moore could run in. Mm -hmm. And he seems to be up and going. If you follow him on social media, he is going around what looks to be the 14th district, which stretches down from the suburban Charlotte area and makes its way all the way to Asheville. So he's been delivering a lot of oversized checks the last few days. So our bread and butter, though, is the General Assembly. Let's start with the Senate. The Senate map, 29 districts would be safe Republican, 17 would be safe Democratic, and there would be four swing districts. In the House, 67 would be safe Republican, 44 safe Democratic, and nine swing districts. Now, for the people who are going to be on this chopping block, in the Senate, it double bunks Senator Jay Chaudhary and Senator Lisa Grafstein and also double bunks Senator Vicki Sawyer and Senator Natasha Marcus. In earlier versions of redistricting, I believe it was actually the last cycle, Senators Sawyer and Marcus were double bunked, and then they ran an amendment and got them separated. Looks like that's sticking this time. Uh, The four swing districts in the Senate, I imagine, would be 
uh, Michael Lee, Senator Michael Lee down in New Hanover County. Senator Danny Britt is a swing district in Robeson County. And then I imagine it's Senator Mary Wills Bodie and Senator Sidney Batch. So the double bunking, I don't see a primary between Senator Chaudhary and Grafstein, but we'll see. One of them is going to have to make a decision whether to back out or, you know, there might be a primary. Those are always painful to see when folks are double bunked. Over on the House side, current Representative Wesley Harris is double bunked with Representative Laura Budd, but he's not running. He is running for state treasurer, so that may have worked itself out. Additionally, Representative Diamond Staten Williams and current Representative Kristen Baker are double bunked, but Dr. Baker is not running for the House. And we heard a rumor this week that Dr. Grant Campbell, who follows us on Twitter, uh, is looking at running for Kristen Baker's seat. He's a Republican. Additionally, in the House, there are some people that are going to have a much tougher time. Maybe they're not double bunked, but their districts got a lot tougher. Now, and no shock to anyone, Representative Terrence Everett in Wake Forest is going to have a harder time, as well as Representative Lindsey Prather of Buncombe, and then obviously Representative Staten Williams. We also saw in the maps that Representative Tricia Cotham has been given much of what's left of Representative John Bradford's district. Representative Bradford is running for treasurer as a Republican, so it looks like she's going down into that more southern part of Mecklenburg County. It's a tough race, though, and there's some speculation that she might be running for Congress. All indications from what I heard last night, I made a few telephone calls and actually even exchanged text messages with Representative Cotham. Uh, Texted would be fine. Texted would be fine. Uh, Got no indication of what she's doing. She is having jaw surgery. She had an emergency last week and she said, look, I just I just got to get this surgery done and then, you know, things will uh, work its way out. But I believe she is running for the House. That is what I'm hearing inside the building. Was that the only rumor you heard? Well, actually, I got some news last night. I was texting with Representative Jared Lowry. He was our guest last week. And just trying to, you know, see how he felt about the maps, what Robson County was looking like. And he seems to be in a good spot there. But he did tell me he's looking at that congressional seat that is going to be vacated by Congressman Dan Bishop. Dan Bishop is running for attorney general. He says he's looking at it. There's still a lot he wants to get done in the General Assembly. He doesn't know, but he did say I could mention on the podcast that he's looking at that congressional seat. The difference between the congressional maps and the state legislative maps, something I think is important, is that when you run for Congress, you don't have to live in your district. That's right. But when you run for the state House or Senate, you do. So it could change up who's running for what in Congress. Yeah, absolutely. And we'd heard a rumor a week or so back that somebody else was going to enter the Republican primary for governor. And on Wednesday morning, there was an announcement first reported by the NNO that Bill Graham, who is an attorney 
and wealthy businessman, is running for governor. As a Republican in that crowded primary already. Now, Mr. Graham is bringing $5 million of his own money to that primary. That's a big chunk of change. And he is not new to politics. He actually ran for governor in 2008. That was the Pat McCrory, Fred Smith. Uh, Gosh, who else? Bob Bob Orr was in that race. Pat McCrory eventually gets the nomination in 2008, goes on to lose to Governor Beverly Perdue. Then, of course, he wins in 2012. Now, Bill Graham made a name for himself leading up to that election. He would come down to the General Assembly quite frequently uh, on one issue, and that was the gas tax. And he was actually successful in getting some policy done in that General Assembly. By the way, Democrats controlled the General Assembly, but he had a very strong message then. Haven't heard from him since. So when his name popped up this week, I was like, yeah, I remember this guy. But welcome to the Republican primary for governor, Mr. Graham. With the recent events in Israel and Gaza, we decided to have a fellow lobbyist, Bruce Mildorf, on the podcast this week to talk about his connection to the war that's happening right now. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Bruce Mildorf, welcome to the podcast. It is an honor to be here. Thank you. Start us off by telling us we know you because you're a lobbyist with us at the General Assembly. Where do you fit in in North Carolina politics? I am an advocate slash lobbyist. (laughs) It took me a little while to be able to use that second word. And why is that? Should we dig into that? This is my therapy session. <laughs> you are on the couch. I am, Maybe I should lie down. <laughs> we should do you that. You could with if you want to hold the mic. <laughs> yeah. uh, I will say, you know, honestly, I used to think it was a bad word because of the federal politics and what's going on in D.C. with lobbying. But on the state level, when I was reporting for WRAL and covering the General Assembly, I saw that it was the lobbyists that oftentimes are the ones to educate and form the legislators because they have you know, more than a thousand bills, oftentimes just one staff person, and things are moving so fast that without the, quote, you know, experts slash lobbyists, sometimes they wouldn't even know what they're really voting on. And so I feel good about it now. Proposal for us to be just called experts. Yes, <laughs> yeah. well said. So, and then... I work for the North Carolina School Boards Association. There are 115 uh, school districts in the state, 115 school boards. All 115 are members of our association. And so at the General Assembly, I represent all 115 school boards, which essentially is, you know, the districts, because as the policymakers, you know, we're focusing on the kids and the students and uh, providing the best education possible. We want to talk a little bit about your work, and we want to talk about your former career at WREL. But first, we want to get into the recent news. In fact, there was a WREL story about you and your family's 
situation that you're going through, the Uh Israeli war, the attack on Israel by Hamas just under two weeks ago. And we knew this from you, talking to you, that was it over a year ago when your daughter enlisted in the Israeli army? Well, she graduated high school in May of 21. By August or early September, she was in Israel doing kind of a a pre-training because she was interested in joining the IDF. IDF is? The Israeli Defense Forces. And by January, uh, she enlisted, officially enlisted. And at that point, there's no turning back. The the pre-training allowed her and the other Americans or other individuals who were part of this program to see if it was right for them. And the army could see if the same thing. Right. Is there a good fit? And there were many of uh, the young people. I say young people. I mean, they're not kids, but look, if, if they're now in war, you know, it's hard to call them a kid, although that's how I see them. Yeah. Um, many of them did change their minds and say, you know what? This is not for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, no point did my daughter, did she ever have that thought? She was just full speed ahead. It's what she wanted. And uh, she was going to make it happen. Is it okay to ask this? What, what, what is your daughter's name? It is okay to ask. The IDF uh, has asked us not to provide her first name. Um, it's not as if it's that hard to find. Um, but they asked us not to show um, pictures, um, say exactly where she is, and um, her first name. Fair enough. How is she doing? Do you know? She has been very good about checking in daily. Without that, I think we would have lost our minds. And you know what? There are some parents that are not hearing from their, from their kids. Yeah. And uh, I just feel for them because I, I, people can't imagine what we're going through. I can't imagine what those families are going through. I'm going to put in air quotes, she's okay. People ask me, is she safe? And my response is, no one is safe, uh, especially if you are wearing, and these are my words, if, you're, if they're wearing an army uniform, in my mind, uh, she's a target. And um, she's often wearing the army uniform. Your daughter grew up in America. You're an American. How does one go from growing up in America and then joining the Israeli army your daughter's fortitude and conviction and belief must have been so strong to graduate from high school. Like you said earlier, they're, they're a kid in high school, and she makes this monumental decision. Can you share with us how that all happened? So she's a lone soldier. Uh, there are different ways to join the Israeli army. Uh, she did it, as, as you said, through a program and just to make sure that there's a fit. And through the program, they will f- find a host family for you because you are over there alone, hence lone soldier. Ever since she was going to overnight camp and before that, she just had a connection to Judaism. And then um, we went to Israel for... I have three kids, boy-girl twins, and um, a singleton, my baby's a daughter. So they're 20 months apart. So we went to Israel for their B'nai Mitzvah. And my daughter, uh, who's now in the army, 
that connection to Judaism uh, grew to this connection to Israel. And when she heard, uh, I don't know if she was a freshman, a sophomore, that someone she knew was doing this, she said to us, that's what I'm going to do. And we said, okay, yeah, great. We'll support you. You know, there's two years between now and then. It's one thing to say it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that the June she graduated high school, she had an app that showed every rocket that went into Israel. And I would get a text or a call with almost everyone. My phone was going nonstop. Oh, another rocket, this rocket here, this rocket here. And I was thinking, okay, now there's no way mm-hmm. she's doing this. We made her go through the college application process, get some, you know, apply for scholarships. And when we said, okay, well, now it's time to decide, she said, what do you mean? I told you a long time ago, this is what I'm doing. And like I said, she just went and, uh, and did it. And we are so proud of her. Do you want to talk a little bit about your son being over there as well? Sure. I believe in the WRAL article, not to keep referencing that, but it said that he is home for a break right now. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what conversations you're having at home with him about going back? Well, he wants to go back. Okay. So when when I when we say he's he was on break or he is on break, their summer break is different than ours. So it's not really a summer break; it's more of a holiday break. Where our break is June, July, parts of August for college. There, it is August, September, parts of October, because you've got Rosh Hashanah, mm-hmm. Yom Kippur, and you know, all these other holidays that they'd have to be off for anyway, so let's just make that the break. He was supposed to go back yesterday, and this has been very hard on him. You know, he knows people that have been called up as you know, reservists. There's uh, a student at his school who he did not know that was killed. You know, that's where his life is right now. He would love to be there uh, to help in any way possible with humanitarian efforts, but he's here and uh, he he feels some guilt Mm -hmm. and it's been hard. His sister's there. I can't imagine how you and your wife process all this. We texted you last week to check in on you. You said that your daughter was going to a funeral that day, someone she lost in her unit. Mm Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine how you guys are processing knowing your daughter's going to a funeral of someone that served with her. You know, honestly, uh, it could have been her. You know, she wasn't placed at that spot on that day. When this all went down, she was actually off base. Uh, She was taking some a week off. I think she ended up getting, well, she got called back as soon as it happened. But no, this is horrific. I think in an REL article, we said um, it's a nightmare, but a nightmare you wake up from. And this nightmare is our reality. And it is really, really tough. Um, Like I said, no one is safe. I will text. And the time between the text and and she responds, um, you know, sometimes you'll stay up late if, if a child's coming, you know, if your kid's coming home, from a party. This is that times whatever number you want to put on it, but it's, I feel like I have, I'm very, you know, I've, I've been very angry for a number of reasons, but I'm also somewhat numb. And throughout the day, I sometimes feel like I'm just a walking zombie on autopilot. It's all consuming. 
Terrorism is not new to Israel. Conflict seems to be constant in the area, going back to 1948 when the state of Israel was created. But how are you processing this place in time we're in, this conflict we're in? Your daughter is literally in the middle of it. Have you thought about that? Let me start by saying that even before this barbaric, horrific terrorist attack occurred, my family would often talk about what's going on in Gaza and the conditions that these civilians live under, that no one should have to live the way they are, but that their government, Hamas, this terrorist organization, which runs Gaza and is funded by Iran and um, does not care about these civilians, that they use these civilians as a shield, knowing that where their, where their weapons are stored, Israel will bomb, and that's why they put it in a school or a hospital. Yes, would I love peace? Absolutely. But you can't have peace with a group that is not willing to acknowledge your right to exist. And that's how they feel about Israel. And what bothers me the most is that this could have been taken care of back in 1948 when Israel was created. That when the UN came up with the partition plan, they actually came up with two states. They divided the map and they established a Jewish part Israel and a Arab part Palestine and the Jews said, we accept, we will live under this and we'll live in peace. And the Arab nations and the Palestinians said, absolutely not. We want it all. And on the day the British left, you had the surrounding Arab nations and the Palestinians converge on the Jewish people. And miraculously, the Jews pushed them back And for their own safety and for their own existence, they were able to get more land. Now the Palestinians use that as a reason as to why Israel shouldn't exist. It's an excuse. And every war after that seems to follow that same pattern, right? Whether it was the 1948 Arab-Israeli War, the Six-Day War in 1967 the Yom Kippur War in 1973. Every encroachment, every terrorist act, every invasion seems to result in the Palestinian people losing more land. It seems like history would somehow say this isn't working. I'm not trying to oversimplify what the Palestinian people need to do, but it seems like the only path, if you were to follow what happened in India, if you were to follow what happened in the Jim Crow South, the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa, if you feel that you are living in conditions that are not equal, it seems to me a path of nonviolence is the path to gaining more rights or even more land. But the terrorists and the terrorism seems to not be working. I would like to agree with you that it's not working, but clearly they have a different agenda because they keep trying. Prior to 2005, when Israel occupied Gaza and there were Jews living in Gaza, they made a deal that the Jews would 
get out and that Israel would no longer officially occupy, that they would have their own government, that this could be the beginning of creating a state. And, you know, in the hope of peace, but we just continue to see the millions of dollars that Hamas gets every month instead of supporting the innocent civilians and helping to build infrastructure. They're using it for tunnels, ammunition, rockets. They don't seem to be motivated by helping their citizenry. They seem to be only motivated by wiping out Israel. I hesitate to ask you this question. Do you see a path to peace in the Middle East, in Israel? You know, I honestly, um, I do. But it would mean taking out Hamas. And the hard part there is, as I said before, Hamas uses its people as shields. Israel is the only country I know of in war that will alert the enemy when they're planning an attack and to evacuate. But there will be casualties on both sides. It could be over quick, but Israel will not do that because it would mean a lot of innocent casualties. Not that they can always be prevented, but if you just obliterate it, they have no chance. And these are human beings, and to no fault of their own, they're in this situation. And Israel values life, especially those that are innocent civilians. But to answer your question, yes, I see an opportunity for peace. Look, we've seen it with Egypt. There's an arrangement with Jordan. Uh, we recently, in the last few years, with uh, UAE, Bahrain, there is another way. But the other side just has to be willing, and so far they have not. And so with different leadership, God willing, we can eventually have peace. So earlier you were saying that, you know, this has been a nightmare. And you told us that you've been off social media, you've been taking time off. Have you found that to be restorative for your family or has it been harder to not be plugged into what's oh, happening? I didn't say my family's been off. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, my wife is very different than me. Okay. Uh, she needs information. Mm -hmm. it's a, she is absolutely amazing. She is in contact with other soldiers, other lone soldiers, uh, reaching out to them. You know, one of them uh, is in a tank. I didn't really put it together. And, you know, I'm somewhat, I guess, ignorant, naive. But I guess when you're in a tank, everything happens in the tank. And there is no porta potty around the corner. And they were out of toilet paper. So my wife, I'm thinking, oh, crap, no pun intended. Mm -hmm. uh, she's thinking, how do I get them toilet paper? She immediately gets on the computer. She's texting people in Israel. She knows she's coordinating people to meet up to get them toilet paper. You know, my wife is a doer. Uh, she needs to consume the information, social media. She has started um, writing daily on Facebook. She does not really engage on Facebook, but we have seen plenty of uh, Jew hate and... Uh, people who are not willing to condemn Hamas, that it's Israel's fault. Mm -hmm. And Mama Bear ain't going to take that. Yeah. And she is pushing back. 
and sees it as our duty to do so. And my son, he ha- he's now off Instagram and received texts from people he knows and had respected. And if you could read what he received, it, I can't even get the words out. I, it, is, it was so infuriating for him to experience that. But then to know that there are people in our community who think this way and condone the hatred and the brutal killing of innocent people, babies, it's just unfathomable. And, and, and that's part of my anger. Part of my anger is the Israeli government. How did this happen? Part of my anger is obviously with Hamas and everything that's now happening as a result. But to see Americans that are unwilling to see a terrorist act and not speak out against it. I mean, we, I even said, I mean, we're not anti-Palestinian. We feel we are sympathetic and empathetic to the innocent Palestinians, but there's nothing good you can say about Hamas, Hezbollah. Everyone has a right to gather, to rally, but some of these rallies, these pro-Palestinian rallies, which if they were about support and love for one another, great. But when you hear chants like, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. Hey, it's a great rhyme. And it sounds great. But when you dissect that, from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea is the width of Israel. And to say it shall be free is anti-Semitic. It's anti-Israel because what you're saying is Israel will be Palestine and Israel will no longer exist. This played itself out in NC Poll World last week in the General Assembly when a small group of Democrats did not vote on the resolution that was put forward in the House. They walked off the floor and we saw Democrats choose not to sign the proclamation in the Senate. It was a bipartisan resolution in both chambers, uh, but this did play itself out in the General Assembly. I imagine, even though you're offline, you did tell us earlier you were listening to the sessions. It had to be hurtful. It was. Because I wasn't there, um, I wasn't watching. I was just listening. And Representative Lucas spoke, which I appreciated. Representative Marvin Lucas, yeah. And he was spot on. Um, there are innocent people in Gaza that we should pray for and uh, not forget that um, everyone in Gaza is not a terrorist. Um, so I really respected that. But when I saw the vote and it was a number that wasn't totaling all the other votes, I was disappointed. And uh, my first reaction, I was appalled. Um, I was angry. I was shocked that, again, 
after what happened, how do you not support Israel defending itself against terrorists? Um, like I said, I have not been on social media, so I, I don't know what came of that. I don't know what explanations were given. I don't know if anyone had changed their minds. I'm only going on my initial reaction when I saw that the numbers weren't what they had been and um, that I saw that I think it was 12 in the House and I don't know if it was three in the Senate, but um, that was hard. Now, while the vote was bothersome, I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the outpouring of support from Sergeant at Arms to the NC Poll universe to beyond. Uh, I am getting, and my family is getting positive uh, emails, calls, texts of love, support, prayers. The number of people that have added my daughter to their prayers list, hmm. it is overwhelming and it really truly helps and it helps get us through the day. There are many mornings where it's really difficult to get out of bed and I just think about that and I just want to thank all of them out there, um, people I haven't heard from in years to people I truly did not expect to hear from. And uh, it just has meant so much to us. I'd like for listeners to learn more about you, you being Jewish, how you grew up, where are you from? Uh, we've known you since your days at WREL, but kind of fill in the early life of, of Bruce Mildworth. <laughs> My mom says it was a rainy morning when she was rushed to the hospital. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, both my parents are Jewish. I, I, I don't know anyone in my family who's not. It goes back generations. We were not uh, your observant Jews. We grew, grew up going to a conservative synagogue, which meant Hebrew school on Tuesdays and Thursdays for two hours and Sunday school, I think, for two and a half hours. I eventually dropped out. I knew back then uh, marrying someone Jewish was important. Where'd you grow up, by the way? I grew up in Connecticut, and I grew up eating bacon and eggs. Oh. This podcast is sponsored by the Port Council. Be pleased to know that. <laughs> Am I, so uh, did I get some kind of royalty for that? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. We'll give you four thumbs up. Uh, but I don't anymore. Okay. My wife grew up kosher. And when we married, you know, she said, um, I mean, there were some compromises and we agreed to uh, no pork in the house or in the apartment at the time because we were living in New York City. And um, we've cut, I've cut pork out of my diet. All right. And I love turkey bacon. Love it. When did you guys move to North Carolina? Um, so back in New York City, I was working in banking and consulting. So that was your first career. That's number I was, one. I was waiting for that because you said WRL was your second career. Yeah. So from New York City, uh, so I changed careers um, after several years in, in New York City. Went from New York City to Idaho Falls, Idaho. That was my first real on-air gig after spending a little time at a very small cable access channel on Long Island. And uh, I'll tell you, my 
worst day in Idaho was better than my best day at the bank. Oh, okay. wow. So, I, you know, th that was um, a nice change. And from Idaho, it was, I have this, I think they call it some d d disease, Raynaud's, mm -hmm. where bad, you know, blood flow and circulation in my fingers and toes. And I would be uh, one man banding in Idaho, night side, you know, at night, it would fall. I mean, the, the temperatures would just drop. If it was, you know, 10 degrees, it was a warm evening on a train bound for nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I would get back in the car and just cry mm. as the circuit, you know, as, as my hands mm. would start to warm. And I said, okay, this is enough. Meanwhile, my wife, girlfriend at the time was still in New York City. I said, I'm moving somewhere warmer. Hello, Mobile, Alabama. All right. And we realized that's too warm. <laughs> but spent a number of years there and from Alabama moved to, to Raleigh. What year was that? 2007. So I was with RAL for a little over seven years. And you covered the General Assembly in your work, but you also had general assignments too, mm -hmm. right? WRAL. And you, yeah, Brian has a very, he has a video of you dancing on air that he likes to send me periodically. So for a while, <laughs> maybe that was why I was taking off the anchor desk. <laughs> Um, yeah, for a while I, I anchored the uh, weekend mornings. Mm -hmm. And what was that uh, that Korean uh, song? It just oh yeah, you know, or the song with the dance. Gangnam Style. Gangnam Gangnam style. style. You did it. Yeah, yeah. We I've were, seen it a few times. Yeah, we were we were <laughs> they were playing it because we were talking about how popular it was, and I just had to dance to it. It was great. And there, you, that's what that's from. So you're at WRL for seven years, and you make the transition to lobbyist, mm -hmm. and you take over as director of government relations for the North Carolina School Boards Association. So I have to ask this. I've always wanted to ask you this. I don't know why I haven't asked you before this, but you had to know that education is about as political as it gets at the General Assembly and you walk into this role at the School Boards Association. What was that transition like? You know, honestly, I didn't really realize it. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. In fact, at the General Assembly, I, you know, we have BEATS. Uh -huh. And I started off with DOT, you know, transportation and mental health. And then it moved on to other stuff. The one thing I did not cover, education. Uh -huh. And so, honestly, I, I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> had i known i was it's interesting because i wasn't really looking for another job but i got a call from my boss at the school boards association when i was still at rel and um leanne winter leanne winter and yeah. she would occasionally call with you know pitching a story idea or wanting something from me and uh so i agreed to meet i thought i was going to get another story idea and instead she asked she said that we're creating a new position, would I be interested? And a few months later, I was at the School Boards Association. Okay. And that's right. She was director of government relations at the time, so you worked under her. She mm -hmm. moves up to the executive director role. You move, in, you move into her role. What year was that? 2014. Okay. And then you go into the director role what year? I want to say it was during covid uh, maybe end of 2020, beginning of 21. Mm -hmm. That old timeline's a blur to me. 
back yeah. in COVID. You have two lobbyists that work under you. Yes. You enjoy it? I do. And what is it that you have against families taking summer vacations? <laughs> um, the same thing that you have taking away people's Christmas vacations. <laughs> <laughs> you know, making students study on their Christmas break, to me, is unconscionable. I think we should make them study on all those teacher work days. Exactly. <laughs> By the way, before we get into this, uh, you need to know, dear listener, that we represent the North Carolina Travel Industry Association, Bruce, uh, of course, with the school boards. We have a friendly disagreement over the summer calendar or the school calendar law going back to 2004. You would like to repeal the school calendar. We believe kids need to be able to spend time with their families during the summer and just enjoy our summer climate here in the state. Actually, it's interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, our view is not to repeal. Okay. Our view is to compromise oh. and yeah. create a win-win for all sides. And someday I hope you'll get there as well. Oh, gosh. Well, uh, we do need to unpack something Sky asked. We have a kid who hangs out with us on teacher work days, which means he's here at least two times a week. Uh, What is like every Monday? Yeah. What is it with all the teacher work days? Uh, Is it like every Monday? Or is there what's the method to the madness here? So I don't handle the local (laughs) decisions. I, I representing the boards at the General Assembly, I'm more involved on, in st- on state issues. Okay. okay. And okay. so when it comes to creating a calendar, when it comes to their local policies, I'm really unfamiliar with that. Okay. It just seems like we could fit in some exams before Christmas if we had fewer teacher work days. Maybe that's a compromise. And look, <laughs> we're at the table. Yeah. All right. We had a little fun there. Actually, this is a lot of our conversation inside the General Assembly. But Bruce, this is the Do Politics Better podcast. Even though we have this disagreement, we really do think a lot of you. And you are our friend. We have debated on TV over this. And uh, we go in committee. But, you know, it's not something that we take personally. I know you don't take it personally. But we're friends. I don't know if you noticed your car out there has a flat tire. (laughs) (laughs) Truth to be told, Bruce came in and said, you're not going to ask me a magic wand question, are you? And we were like, obviously, yes. (laughs) It's sort of the cornerstone of our interview. So if you had a magic wand and you could fix something in our politics today, what would it be? That there would no longer be a need for magic wands. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a good one. And that would mean the Messiah has come, there's peace on earth, everyone's happy. The sun just came out when you said that. Yeah. Amen. There you go. Does does that qualify? It does. You did hear about peace on earth. Yeah. Yes. And the sun shining. We do pray for peace on earth. We are thinking of you, Bruce, your family, your daughter, all your kids. We're thinking about the people in Israel, the folks in Gaza, everyone in the region who are innocent. We are praying for justice to be served on Hamas. We appreciate everything you're doing in North Carolina politics. We appreciate you sharing what must be a horrific time for you and your family, sharing that with our listeners. You certainly know how to do politics better, Bruce, and we appreciate you being on the podcast today. Thank you. Baruch Hashem. 
The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. Scott, that was one of the tougher conversations we've had on this podcast. As a parent, I just can't imagine what it's going through Bruce's head every day. You know, when it was time for the kids to go to college, my daughter told me she was going to New York and just sent so much anxiety uh, through me, thinking that she's just outside the city. She goes to the city frequently. I worry about her constantly. In fact, since this has all transpired in Israel, I find myself texting her more calling her more. She's always on my mind. Both of my kids are. I think about them constantly, but to think that my kid is in a war zone, it's just unreal to me. But we are holding up Bruce and his family and his daughter as they go through this, and we're thinking about them. We hope that peace is coming to Israel soon, that there's some resolution to this, that Uh, We find a path for people to coexist together. All of these folks in that region are the sons of Abraham. If you read your Old Testament, your Torah, your Quran, that story is in all three of those books. And we hope that uh, somehow people figure out that we're all brothers and sisters. We wish Bruce well. Thank you for being on the podcast and sharing your story. Tweet of the week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. This week's Tweet of the Week is from Brent Woodcox. He's at Brent Woodcox. And I have to say, last week I did say, take some of your drafts out at Brent. So (laughs) thank you for understanding the assignment. His tweet says, shout out to Patrick McHenry out here voting for literally anybody to be speaker other than him. Hmm. Kevin McCarthy? Sure. Steve Scalise? I'm in. Jim Jordan? Why not? Just somebody take this gavel from me. It's big and heavy, and I almost broke it the last time I used it. And it's a quote tweet of Danielle Battaglia's tweet that says all of North Carolina's Republicans voted for Jordan. (laughs) I I will note also that Clark Reamer responded and said, well, Patrick McHenry is a sane person, and no sane person will want to be Speaker of the House. (laughs) It looks like he's heading for it. It's, I mean, by the time this podcast drops, it, it might have already happened, but... I doubt it. Watching Jordan go down in flames, Jim Jordan this week. Twice. Yeah, it'll be nice to have a speaker from North Carolina. I don't think that's going to happen. I, mean, I saw an interview with Dr. Murphy, Dr. Greg Murphy, uh, this morning. Did you see that? Where he was like, no, I talked to him. He does not want it. You know, George Washington didn't want to be president. 
And they make the best leaders. The reluctant leaders make the best leaders. We're glad to see some humor come back to NC Poll hashtag. That's been good. Going into the last week of session, we can use that. And it's been good. We had a humorous conversation in the building last week. So after a few weeks ago, we openly called for someone to tell Senator Lowe that (laughs) we're not married. Senator Lowe came out of the Senate chamber and approached us. Mm -hmm. I was a little confused about this matchup, but I thought forever you guys were a husband and wife team, and I apologize. He also said he just doesn't question people's marriages. That's a good rule, right? Yeah. I mean, if we did that, it would be literally, we would all be saying about every woman, why is she with this doofus? I think that about you and Julie every day. Sometimes I send her videos and I'm like, this is your man? (laughs) I think people wonder all the time, why is she with me? Well, everybody needs a beard. (laughs) (laughs) Not everybody. (laughs) You know, men, it is amazing that we are keeping this planet populated. Why women invite us into their lives and let us reproduce with them it's just a big mystery. Yeah. Individually, we can like you on a one, one-on-one basis, but like as a group, rather stupid, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. But we have so much confidence. I think you guys so really buy, buy into our confidence because yeah. if every woman, every woman on this planet, we have a guy who is pursuing you <laughs> right now. He is thinking... <laughs> I'm going to get her. And it's not just one guy. It's two or three guys. We've got men thinking about it all the time. That's wild. I mean, that's how I get a lot of male friends. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be candid. I have so many male friends. And when I say friends, I'm putting air quotes around the word friends. (laughs) Because they're thinking... I see Sky over there. I want to talk to her. I think I'm going to talk to the middle-aged paunchy man that she hangs out with. And so, so many people... I don't like it when you talk bad about yourself like I'm that. Not, I'm not talking bad. I'm stating facts here. And so men will come up and ask me about myself. <laughs> and then, it, you know, after about two minutes, it, here it comes. <laughs> so what's Sky up to? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, in those two minutes, I have left your side. Right. I'm like, she was here up until you came over. I just didn't want to be involved in your conversation. Yet another invitation. Let's go get drinks. You know, I love it when people invite me places and they think I'm going to bring you. So I show up and they're like, where's Sky? I'm like, yeah, she's not coming. <laughs> oh. Well, what are we going to talk about? We usually end up talking about you. Well, what were you going to talk about with me there? Nothing. (laughs) I'll just sit there quietly. (laughs) That is true. Well, you make fun of me when when we're together. So I do think people like that. That's not exclusive to being around other people. I do that here when it's just us. That's true. Yeah, I get made fun of all day, every day. And you make fun of me. Yeah. Just on the podcast, you make yourself a little more of a victim than you do in everyday life. Is it a good way to get to you through me? Mm, I don't know. All right. You know, 
we've talked about this today. I do have one friend who's insanely jealous of you. Yes. <laughs> insanely. Yeah. So I walk into the office this morning. You're on the telephone with this guy. <laughs> and he says... One of my very best friends. Yes. And he says, hey, I, I'd love for you to come out and visit, hang out. You're invited. Bring someone if you want to. Just don't bring Brian <laughs> Lewis. And I'm like, hey... <laughs> And then he's like, I got to go. <laughs> and I like all your friends. Just this particular friend doesn't seem to like me. No, he's jealous. He likes all of the attention to be on him all the time. <laughs> and you like all the attention to be on you all the time. You could see how that would be problematic. I don't mind you sharing attention with him. You don't? No. I mean, I know I get you in person. So you got, he's a few states away. But yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't want him in the office all the time. For no. one, he talks constantly i mean he will not shut up yeah that's why he gets in trouble at um the university of illinois (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) you can't say things like he says anymore yeah anyway so we we had a situation this week you and i spoke to the north carolina healthcare association government relations retreat this week by the way they're a sponsor of the podcast and it was so fun spending time with them we Take your car, because you don't like to take my car because you feel my car is uncomfortable to to take long commutes in. It's a little Mini Cooper. It's a little tight in there, but uh, and you don't like the top down. So we're taking your great VW SUV, and it is a nice car to drive it. But it's cursed. I feel like I'm cursed. Yeah. In my head, I worked this out the other day. I'm like, is it that he's doing things to my car because he wants to prove that we should ride in his car because I always throw fit about it. I would not do that. That would not. Yeah, never. No. Car repairs are too expensive and it's a pain to break down as we learned again. Yep. So first, about a year and a half ago, we got a flat tire. Brian was driving my car. First of all, passenger princess. I'm not driving. Right. That is so I want us to take my car. (laughs) What she will do, though, (laughs) is while I'm driving, she then brings out all these cleaning supplies that she stores, Lord knows where, in this SUV, brings out mops, rags, (laughs) spray, and she is cleaning the car as I drive. Mops. Mm-hmm. Mops, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I clean the car before you get in it too. I, I vacuum it out. Constantly I try to make cleaning. It nice for you. Constantly cleaning. So we roll back into Raleigh from Wilmington. We are five blocks from the office. Yeah. Her engine is one of these, like the new cars. They cut off whenever you're at a stoplight or come to a stop and then cuts back on. I noticed there was all this blinking going on. And the battery indicator was saying it was dead. But nothing had come up before that. Yeah. So we're at the corner of Martin Luther King and Person Street. Yep. And we're in the left lane. It's a one-way street. I put the car in neutral. Managed to get us over to the sidewalk. Call the police. We really don't know. We called a friend as well, but, you know, everything's moving so fast. We don't want to get hit from behind. Yeah, we were really nervous about getting hit. Yeah. And yeah, I called the police and they sent a police officer over. He calls a tow truck. And so we have a cop sitting behind us. And so we're fine by then. Yeah. And at this point, it's already getting a little funny that this happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, we did stay overnight somewhere. So we both had travel bags, mm-hmm. our work bags. We were dressed up. We each had a heavy water bottle. Yes. Yep. Dressed up. 
So the tow truck driver gets there. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you know we loved riding with the tow truck driver last time. Best part of breaking down. Yeah. So we're like, can we ride with you? And I told him to take my car down to Brown's, which is pretty close to my house. By the way, I live on Person Street. We're like, we just need to go a mile down the road. Brian's car is at my house, not at the office. Keep that in mind. And he's like... Sorry, it's a two-seater. <laughs> right. But you guys can get an Uber, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. So I'm thinking maybe the police officer will give us a ride. So I go to him and say, hey, uh, tow truck can't take us. I guess we'll call an Uber. And he goes, yeah, okay, sounds good. <laughs> and so we don't get an offer there. So we try to call an Uber. or Yeah, do, uh, I requested know. at least, actually, let me just look exactly how many ubers went down in that situation one two three four five six six so we get the uber connected and then i guess they're seeing where we are martin luther king in person that's in southeast raleigh Uh, it's right south of shaw and they just cancel every single one it was amazing yeah eye-opening there for us yeah and Kind of putting it all together. Okay, we're here at this corner. They're not going to pick us up. So we proceed to load up our bags and our water bottles. And we begin our schlep (laughs) up Person Street (laughs) to our office, carrying our bags, looking like, you know, and I'm wearing my Mike Carpenter uniform. You know, he's over at the Home Builders. He always wears gray slacks with a blue coat. I say it's the American League umpire uniform. You're wearing heels and a skirt, and we just look ridiculous, like we've been kicked out of our home (laughs) and heading, you know, somewhere to Moore Square, I assume. We make it back to the office, all safe and sound. It's fine. Everything's good. It's broad daylight. As soon as we drop our bags off at the office, we do need to get to your house to pick up my car. And magically, Uber shows right up. Immediately. Yeah, you you had to use the bathroom and he was here before you were done. Yeah, that happened to us. And (laughs) and the car, you got a call or it's going to be fixed. Yeah, they still have it. It's been a few days, but... They're going to run some diagnostics. <laughs> As you heard that lady tell me, the guy that works on VWs is at his vacation rental home. <laughs> I said, that's fine. I don't really need my car. Yeah, and you're just going to help him pay for it <laughs> once you get the bill. But I'm glad we're back safe and sound. Had a great time with the Healthcare Association. Great folks. Great talk. But uh, once again, I broke down your car, so I apologize. Next week, we expect a lot of action at the NCGA. We expect a lot of conference reports, which might have some surprises in them. And we'll be talking about whether or not we will be adjourning. We will cover it all next week. But until then, enjoy this nice fall weather. Go outside, take a hike, do something fun, and remember to do politics better.